He's got something up his sleeve for us. Do you believe that? All three of you. Oh, that was good. God has got something up his sleeve for us. Well, I, uh, I'm excited because I, I get to carry on with our message series called Follower. How many have been getting something out of it? That's good. Well, we talked two weeks ago. By the way, for those that were not here last Sunday, you missed probably the greatest message in the history of Impact Church ever. I'm serious. And I'm not just saying that because she's my wife. But that was probably the, the best message I've ever heard in my life as far as, as far as encouraging to go on. So if you were not here last Sunday, listen to it. It will inspire you. It will encourage you. It will lift you up. It will keep you focused. It will give you perspective. It will do all of that. And at the end of it, you just get to hear my wife's lovely voice too. So that's all good. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about moving past the riverbank and not getting ankle deep with water, not just getting knee deep with water, not just getting waist deep with water, but going all in. And one uh, family, one couple in our church decided to take the plunge, and they went all in. If you can go to that next slide there. They're just following the pastor's orders. It's great. They, they They didn't go to the deep end. They went over the cliff. You know what I'm saying? That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, thank you, Joe and Alan, for a great illustration this morning. I don't even need to say anything else. That's what, so you're saying, what are we talking about this morning? That. So what do I want you to do by the end of today? Right. So if there's any, anything that you're holding on to on the other side, let it go and do. What was that? Okay, that's good. That's good. How you guys ever heard any of these statements before? I want you to fill in the blank for me just to see how smart you are. This is going to be like school. Are you ready? If it ain't broke, okay, if the shoe fits, if you can't stand the heat, wow, you guys are good. You guys are good. And some of you maybe have heard this, these other phrases too. I don't know if you have. Um, if you really loved me, For those who didn't hear, James has to take out the garbage. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad my wife was silent right there. Whew, that's good. Because I was thinking, I shouldn't say this one just in case she says something. If you knew what you were doing, right. If you want to make me happy, oh, yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be. The point of those words is, is every single sentence that we just talked about started with a very small little word called if. And I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've kind of figured out in life what iffy means. You know? Eh, you know, it's kind of eh. That's definitely not iffy. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's going all in. But little English lesson this morning. If is a conjunction and a conjunction is a word that literally joins phrases or thoughts together. It joins one thought to another, and it, and it makes a phrase or a sentence. And in other words, it's a joiner. It's a connector. That's what the word if does. It introduces a situation that can only be fulfilled when the person it's talking about does something. Right? So in other words, it places the responsibility on the person 
to take action in order to move it from possibility to reality. And this is the very same way that Jesus talked about follower. This is how he started the whole thing. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, and he said to them, if. Then he said to them, if. So he's setting them up. He's not about ready to just to make a statement. He's actually saying something that has a little following at the end of it. And at the end of it, he's saying, listen, if you do this, you can have that. Right? How many know being iffy doesn't get you anywhere? How many know that being iffy and making a decision to go to Haiti is not going to get you anywhere? Right? But saying, hey, I'm all in. Lord, whatever you want, it's going to produce fruit. Right? Right. It says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I want you to remember the context of when this verse is spoken and what has happened prior to this so that you understand what Jesus was saying. So up to this point, follow along with me, up to this point, he'd already healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had a lepers that were cleansed and healed. The crippled were healed. A withered hand was restored. Demons were cast out. A storm was supernaturally calmed. A daughter was raised from the dead. 5,000 people were fed with a little boy's lunch. A deaf mute was healed. Jesus walked on water and a blind man was healed. Then he gets to this statement. He goes, if you want to be my follower. They're like, yeah, I want that. Like, come on. That's like the... You know, like, that's awesome. You tell me if I follow you, I get to do that. Now he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you now what it takes to get that. You want that? You want the supernatural? You want the signs and wonders? You want the things to follow you? The miracles of God to follow you? The if? Ready, this is what you got to do. So when he said if, he was setting them up. He was basically saying, listen, you can't admire what I'm doing anymore. You can't just keep asking me questions and me telling you parables. You can't keep inquiring. And you can't just respond by saying, oh, this is cool, Lord. What do you want me to do? Now he gets them to the point. He says, okay, are you ready? It's time to get rid of the iffiness. And it's time to get ready to understand the conditions that have to be met if you're going to be a follower. Are you ready? He wasn't just calling people to a new way of life. He wasn't just calling people to a new way of thinking or a new way of talking. He was literally putting conditions on the idea of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. I don't know about you, but we understand, you know, from our own experiences with God that salvation costs us nothing. Jesus already paid it. But being a follower costs you everything. Just went silent. <laughs> I wanted to come to the happy church. <laughs> where they tell me happy things about happy life so that I can have a happy life forever. I'm going to tell you how to get a happy life. Be a follower. Get rid of the iffiness. Get rid of the iffiness. Get rid of the back and forth. Get rid of the doubt. Get rid of the waves tossed in the sea. Get rid of all that and say, Lord, I'm, I'm laying my iffiness down this morning and I'm picking up your if. That's what he wants you to do this morning, so don't miss this. I want to talk to you this morning uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time with this stuff because I'm going to literally go point by point by point. But i got seven things, seven choices that a follower makes that is proof that they're all in. That's proof that they've gone off the cliff. All right? 
So every time we think, you know what we're going to do now? Forget the minus eight t-shirts. We're going to get a t-shirt with the, the picture of Joe and Alan going off Niagara Falls and then hashtag follower on the back. Then we're going to give them away to everyone. And they're all like, who is that? Oh, they're crazy. Go talk to them. They're all in. They're all in. But seven choices a fully devoted follower of Christ makes. Number one, it's the I'm all in choice. I put this first because you can't get to number two without it. The I'm all in choice, it literally means to have no reservations. No reservations. How many of you have ever showed up for this wonderful dinner that you had thought you'd planned and you showed up and you realized they didn't take your reservation down and now you're stuck? You've had all this wonderful night planned. You show up at this great restaurant. You're expecting great things and you realize, no, there was no reservation that was saved for you. Literally what's happening is God is saying, listen, if you are all in, you're never going to show up to me and be turned away. Ever. Ever. Now, he may not give you the table that you want. <laughs> it's like, Lord, I want the table in the back with the ambient lighting and the nice soft music. No, I'm going to put you right up front because I want you to witness the person that's uh, right beside you. I don't want you to minister to them. But, Lord, I want the ambient lighting. No, 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 no. If you want the no reservation policy and you want me to answer every time, then just do what I say. That's the all-in policy. It's the all-in. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 says this, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. That's a strong sentence. Your father? Your mother? Are you serious? Your wife? Your children? Your brothers and sisters? Yes, even your own life? Are you kidding me? That wasn't in there. I just added that in. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. He makes a statement. You cannot be it. Why? Because he's saying, listen, if you've got love and appreciation that supersedes love and appreciation for me, you're going to have reservations in your life. So that when I come and say, hey, can you do this for me? Remember the statement from a responder? Lord, what, can you ha- what would you have me do? Then what's going to happen is reservations are going to set in in your life, and you're going to say no or maybe. The worst thing you can do is say maybe to God. It's the worst thing. Just say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Come on, yes. There we go. All right. Goes on, next, very next verse, and he goes, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's getting harder. So first time he said, give up your family. Second time he says, carry a really big cross. It's going to hurt you. If you can't do that, can't, carry, can't be my disciple. Number, like literally six verses later, verse 33, it says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has. Oh, Lord, what are you doing? cannot be my disciple. Now, was he trying to go through a list of things to discourage those people and make them feel so frustrated and so discouraged that they would never do anything in their life? No. How many have ever been in a friendship where you really don't know where it's at, but you're not, you're, you're afraid to talk about the big elephant in the room, so you still kind of walk by and you keep walking through this relationship, and you don't understand what they're thinking, or they don't understand what you're thinking, and you just kind of fake it? What he's basically saying is, listen, I'm going to lay down the conditions very clearly so there's no way you can come back to me and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Saying, this is clear, it's clear, it's clear, it's clear. It's interesting, but you can be willing, but not be able. How do you do that? Well, you can be willing, but not able to carry your willingness. How many have ever seen people with good intentions but didn't have the ability to carry their willingness? Do you know what I'm saying? They couldn't carry it. 
So they had a great thought, but when push came to shove, they couldn't carry it. Good intentions are good, and it's awesome. But God is literally saying, listen, when you can put your entirety of who you are upon me, man, it's going to be the most incredible ride of your life. You want to talk about the most incredible adventure you've ever experienced in your life? Put it all on me. No reservations. No reservations. Amen? C.S. Lewis, great author, in his book, Counting the Cost, he said this, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. And Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. And I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. This is the most incredible thing about literally pulling a Joe and Allen. So now we have the Allen dance in our church, and now we're going to do the Joe and Allen. So the Joe and Allen is how many know that when you get in a barrel and you pick up the currents from that river and you're heading towards Niagara Falls, how many know there's nothing that you can do except go over? There's no physical way outside of a helicopter and a chain catching you somehow, dropping off the falls to catch you and save you from that decision. And God is literally saying, listen, that's what I want. I want you to get to a point where you're really literally going, I'm not saying going off the deep end in weird ways, but I'm saying going off the deep end in such a way that you cannot control the circumstances, but you give it to God and you allow him to do it. The second thing is this, is the deny yourself choice. For those who've been following along with the verse, it's Luke 9, 23, our theme verse. It says this, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Another version say, it says, must say no to the things that they want. The message Bible says, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. The more we say yes to Jesus, the more we'll look like him. Right? The more we say yes to self, the more we're going to look like self. It's that simple. Jesus wants to be the center of our life. There's an incredible song. Israel Houghton sings it, and it's an amazing song. You know, Jesus be the center of my life. And that's what we're talking about. When you can literally say, listen, no reservations. What are we talking about with number two here? He's saying no rivals. When you deny yourself, you're literally taking the rival of yourself away from God. Right? You don't have to compete with anybody. You don't have to compete. You don't have to try to outdo somebody else to get to God. He's saying there's no rivals. The decision of a follower is to say, I have no reservations. I'm all in. The second thing they say is, listen, I'm denying myself because there's no rivals between me and God. Nothing is going to get in the way. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How many know a dead person can't decide anything? There is no rivals when you're dead. Right? There's no rival. Number three goes on in verse 23 and it says and take up his cross daily take up his cross daily it says in the message bible don't run from suffering embrace it the weast version says let him at once begin to take up his cross and carry it carry it carry it now thankfully we don't have to pick up a cross and carry it physically 
But what's he talking about? He's talking about carrying the mission of Christ. And guess what? I don't know if you've noticed lately, but there's a lot of things in our culture right now that are anti-Christ. Maybe you haven't noticed. There's a lot of things that are anti-Christ, anti-Bible. So what's this talking about, the take up your cross choice? It literally means no refusal. No refusal. When Jesus was nailed to that cross, he knew that there's nothing he could do at that point to refuse anything. He was going through with what God wanted him to go through with. Austin Sparks, an author, says this, We have not to die, we are dead. What we have to do is to accept our death. In Christ and in water baptism, we simply step into the water and say, That position which God has settled with reference to me is the one which I now accept. And I testify here in this way to the fact that I've accepted God's position for me, namely that in the cross, I have been brought to an end. <laughs> and I can honestly say there's several people that got baptized a couple weeks ago, nine in total, and I haven't talked to everybody, but I know I've talked to several of you, and, and the overwhelming feedback is, wow, I am a different person. God's done something. God's done something. God's done this. Wow, God's done that. What's happened? They died. They went in the water, and the old one's gone. Right? Right, Dolores? The old one went in, and there's a different Dolores, a different identity, a different everything. Because God literally said, wow, I like what you're doing. I promise you that when you go down those waters, the old you's going to die. It won't come back. And whenever you get those feelings, just tell the devil where to go. Right? Right? That's awesome. When you're dead, you can't refuse something. When you're dead, you can't resist something. Right? It's that simple. But the cool thing is, is when you're dead, you take up everything that Christ offers. He offers his peace, his joy, his strength, his grace, his hope. He offers everything. He's literally saying, listen, the choice of a follower is to say, no rivals. God, I don't have any rival that's going to take me away from you. For some of you, you say, what's my rival today? Some of you, it's your cell phone. Right? Could be. Some of you, it's a strange fascination for a particular NHL hockey team. I don't know. Could be anything. But you have to understand, between your relationship and God, what is now a rival to you? If I can be so bold this morning, and I don't want to necessarily step on toes, but I think it's necessary to be said. Some of us have got a whole list of stuff that is not going to change your eternal value but we carry it along with us every single day of our life and then wonder why our walk with God is fruitless. Prioritize God. Prioritize your Bible. Prioritize the family of God, church. Prioritize those things that are going to inspire you and encourage you in your walk with God. I've seen so many people that come to me and they meet with me and they sit in my office and go, I just don't understand. I don't hear from God. and I just know what's going on with my life. I feel like I have no purpose. And I go, okay, let's go through this, the steps and of things we've got to consider. When's the last time that you prayed to God, really, really prayed to God? Oh, oh Pastor, it's just been a, such a struggle. Okay, let's answer one. When's the last time you picked up your Bible? Well, you don't understand. There's just so many things going on in my life. No, okay, no, so that's number two. Well, when's the last time you've been to church? Well, well you know, i got things going on. Well, so does Jesus, but thankfully he spends time with you. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to come out of this message today, and I want you to say, okay, God, I don't want any rivals. If I'm going to be a follower, and I'm going to be all in, and I'm going to go off that deep end, and I'm going <laughs> to jump into the Niagara Gorge spiritually, then, God, what has got to be reprioritized in my life? Go home, talk about it as a family. If you're married, talk about it as a couple. If you've got kids, talk about it as a family. Because there's too many times where life just continuously goes on, and we don't self-evaluate, and we get six months, a year, two years out, we go, what in the world just happened in my life? What happened? And I'll tell you this morning, the enemy's entire goal, if I'm going to hammer home one point today, it's this, no rivals. The entire goal of the enemy is to bring a distraction that would rival your time with God and catch your focus and attention onto something else that it has no eternal value, zero eternal value. So you say, what do, you, what I want, what do I want you to do? Well, we're going to have church seven days a week. I want you here. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> You're like, what? Are you asking me to come? To no, I'm not doing that. Well, here's what I'm doing. Prioritize God and prioritize the things that he loves. I don't want to necessarily hammer this home, but I, I want to say this because it's important. It's very important. For our family, church is non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Sunday is, is as consistent as three meals a day and sleep is at night. It's non-negotiable. Our kids love church. We went away a number of years ago to a cottage, and Caleb and Hannah were so incredibly upset that we weren't having church on Sunday morning. Dad, why aren't we going to church? And I'm trying to convince them, I got my guitar. We're, you know, we can sing songs out of the fire. We can have marshmallows. We don't get marshmallows in church, guys. Come on. That's awesome. You know, but it just wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to be with the family of God. They wanted to be with the family of God. My kids wanted to be with the family of God. And I was like, woo, this, we did something, right? That's good. But what we've created in our culture is we've created a disconnect between God and church. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus died to build the church. So we got to build what he's building. If we're not building what he's building, then we're building wrong. No rivals. No rivals, guys. Because I'm telling you right now, a church that has no rivals is going to scare the devil out of his mind. Amen? No one threw anything at me, so that's good. We can keep going. All right, that's good. I want, to, I want you to hear my heart because I've seen this so many times where it's like we've got this list of excuses that we give God for not pushing forward with him. And then, and then at the same time, we've got this other list of excuses that are just pure frustration as to why we're not moving forward in our life. And I want you to know today they're intimately connected. They're not disconnected. They're intimately connected. So if you have rivals that are taking away your time and your affections from God, then what's going to happen is you're going to see a pulling away. And it's not because God's pulling away. It's because you're pulling away. God chases you. God is obsessed with you. That's why he said in John 3.16, I so love the world. so love the world. Fourth thing is this. It goes on in that Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and it says, and follow me. What does it mean to have a follow me choice? It means there's no retreat. You can't go back. There's no looking back. Following Jesus means that we believe in him. We believe in his words. We imitate his character. We obey his commands. We surrender our life and our will to follow 
him. Mark 1, verse 17 to 18 says this. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. I don't know if you get the picture here for a second. Sometimes we read these stories and we go, oh, that's cool. They left their, they were fishing. And sometimes we think, hey, they were out fishing with their buddies. No, that was their livelihood. So they basically said in one moment, without hesitation, without even thinking, they go, okay, Jesus wants us to follow him. He looks like a cool guy. I like his sandals. Like, I just want to follow him because the guy's got the coolest clothes. He's, he's wearing a minus eight shirt. Like, that's so cool. You know what I'm saying? They look at him and they said, yes, Lord. They left their business. They left their family. They left their income. They left their pension. They left their career. They left their networking. They left their contacts. They left everything. And they said, yes, Lord. I look at that and I go, God, they're crazy. He says, yep. Joe and Alan were crazy. And it's amazing to me that they're in our midst this morning. They survived going over the gorge. Isn't that incredible? They went over. They prayed as they were going down. Lord, I want to go to the deep waters. And they hit it. They bounced off. And they just rode down the Niagara River. Just kept going down Lake Ontario. Just kept going past Toronto. Right past Coburg. Right past Belleville. Landed in the Kingston Harbor and said, we're ready to go. That's what happened. And that's, no, I'm just joking, obviously. But God wants you to see that, that when you go all the way, there's no looking back, there's no retreat. And it's the most incredible feeling, the most incredible experience you could ever have in your life. If I can put a word, other than disposable on our current culture, because that's a word, but if I could put a word on our culture today that I think describes it fairly well, It's this word. Are you ready? Hesitant. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. There's a whole bunch of, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. I got to think about that. I got to think about that. Well, I got to think about that. God is saying that is the, is the, it's the anti-following thought. Now, I'm not asking you to do something stupid. I'm not asking you to do something that doesn't involve your intellect and your, and your will and your decision-making process. But what I am saying is, listen, when you get to that point in Christ, you say, Lord, I'm all in. Then no rival, no retreat, no reluctance, no reservations, none of that stuff. Just let her go. Because then you're going to experience the fullness of the life of God that he has for you. The fifth one is this, the lose your life choice. Uh, not, Luke chapter 9, verse 24 says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What's it talking about? No regrets. No regrets. No reservations, no rivals, no regrets. The Message Bible says this, self-help is no help at all. That just eliminated chapters, half their sections. Okay, self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. To lose your life is to give up control of your life. To, if you keep control of your life, then the reality is is you'll not have the Jesus life that he has planned for you. So we trade our lesser for his greater. We trade our brokenness for his healing. That's a good exchange. I don't know about you, that's a really good, I like that plan. Can you imagine if you invested your money and every single time you invested your money, you're guaranteed a million-fold payback? 
How many would jump on that? Right. It's guaranteed. This is a guaranteed investment account. You know what I'm saying? There's guarantee here. And Jesus put the seal of his Holy Spirit as a guarantee to you that whenever you make that choice, the Jesus life that's to follow is guaranteed. I like that. C.S. Lewis, again, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose yourself and you will save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions, favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and, your will, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. This moment many, many years ago, and I can tell you, God has us on a journey. God had me on a journey. And one of the things that God often dealt with me was the very issues that I was not aware of that I had in my life. How many ever realize when everyone else is aware of something but you're not, it, it can become a little uncomfortable and awkward, right? <laughs> because they try, so, people are so loving, right? People are so loving in my life. They try to come through the side door all the time. It's always the side door. And then every once in a while, someone would come through the front door with flowers. And then one person one day came and showed up on my, at my house, literally showed up in my house, came to my house. So went out of his way to come to my house, opened up the front door and said, hey, how's it going? He says, I have a book for you. I'm like, cool. I look at the title. I said, me and my big mouth. <laughs> I went, you trying to say something? <laughs> He's like, uh, um, I just wanted to bless you with this book. Because I love you. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. You know, come on, let's be honest. We're all thinking that in those moments. Whenever someone comes and actually suggests something or tells you something or advises you something different than what you think yourself, the first thought in your mind is, you're nuts. You totally misread me. Like, what's your problem? problem is, is everyone else doesn't misread you and you misread yourself. So here's what I want you to understand. I had an incredible revelation through that time because I have to be honest with you, when that book first came and I looked down at it and I looked at him, I went, thank you very much. Inside I was like, kill him, Jesus. I don't care how you do it, Jesus. You did many things in the Old Testament. Find a way. Open up the ground and swallow them whole. I don't care what you have to do. And then, of course, you repent. And you're like, Lord, I shouldn't think those thoughts. I'm sorry. You know, I, I should deal with my attitude. But I'll tell you, there was a moment that came within the first couple of weeks of having that book, and I started reading it. And for the first time in my life, I was confronted face on with an issue that I never knew I had. And I'm telling you, I didn't know I had it. People try to tell me, but I didn't know I had it. And then God spoke to me something so clear, I'll never forget it as long as I live. He says, Cameron, you have two choices. Two choices. You can get up on that cross yourself, or I can put you there. What would you like? And okay. And I thought, okay, I get this. So, Lord, I'm going to get up there myself. He says, and here's why you need to go to the cross on that issue. He says, because I cannot bring resurrection life until that thing's dead. And I'm like, oh, but God, but God, 
good in other things. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. Doesn't that count for something? No, he's saying, even though I didn't know the seven steps to following <laughs> back then, he's like, yeah, this is problem number five. My seven-step program. Resurrection life only comes to an issue that's dead. That's it. I can tell you right now, when I got up on that cross personally, not that I physically got up on a cross, you know what I'm saying, but when I physically, my spirit got up on that cross and I laid myself down on that cross and I allowed the Lord just to kill that thing in my life, I had no regrets. No regrets. Some of you think that God needs to put the Toronto Maple Leafs up there too, but we'll get there. We'll get there. That's a tough one for me. Okay, that's a tough one for me. That's a very sensitive area of my life. So we've got to be careful there. Number six. The not ashamed choice. Luke 9, verses 24 to 26. It is the same passage just going on the next verse. It says this, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will, will save it. For what profit is it uh, to a man if he gains the whole world and him, is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. What's it talking about here? No resistance. No resistance. No holding back, no resistance. It's interesting here that the actual Greek word that is used for the word ashamed caught my attention because I didn't understand the full meaning of it until now. For those who have not been to Life Tracks 1, come first of all. But number two, uh, we have a great lesson that we learn about some of the meaning and some of the background on the scriptures and the, and the word of God. And we understand some of the languages and the picture languages. We understand how the Bible is written. And we understand that the English translations at times miss the full understanding of what God was trying to capture in that moment. So I wanted to look up this word because I just didn't want to think, okay, shame. Because I don't know about you, as soon as I hear that, that's the first thing I think of, shame. Okay? But it doesn't mean here to feel shame. And that's what I thought. To be ashamed of means to feel shame. That's not what it means at all. It means to project it. So what is he saying? When you're not all in, your heart constantly, as a way to protect yourself, projects shame and other things on other people in order to protect yourself. And then God is saying, then you've created this wall of no resistance around you that I can't get through to get to your heart. He's saying, stop projecting the stuff that's in you and start receiving what God wants to put in you. Stop projecting those, those painful things. And we come from the Oprah Winfrey generation where Oprah Winfrey tells us to talk about everything for the rest of our lives. Keep talking about it. We're 30 years into Oprah Winfrey's ministry, and we're still talking about the same problems we talked about in 1983 when she started. Why are we doing that? Because we've been taught how to project what's on the inside. And God is saying, Get rid of the projecting of what's on the inside. Open up your heart and let me pour in what I've got. Because it's so much better. It's so much better. And bless Oprah Winfrey, Lord, and get her saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's interesting when you actually look up the dictionary meaning of ashamed one of the one of the the meanings literally says to to be unwilling or restrained because of shame ridicule or disapproval 
And here's what I thought of. Whenever resistance comes in your spiritual journey, it's because you're looking for approval from the wrong source. And God is saying, look for approval from the only source that can bring healing and true freedom, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other source. You can't find it in a person. You can't find it in a career. You can't find it in having a nice-looking bank account, although we're all for that. You can't find it in the reward of your children. You can't find it in a certain grades at school. You can't, if that's where you're finding it, then there's always going to be a resistance to pushing forward to the things of God in your life. You're always going to get to a certain point and then stay there, and you're never going to get past that. And God is saying, listen, let the resistance down and get your approval from me. Because when you do, oh, there's nothing that can stand in your way. The impossible things become possible. The last thing is what I call the disciples' life choice. And here's the big whammy. Are you ready? No rights. No rights. When we're on the cross and we're dead, we have no rights anymore. Now, I'm not talking about the human, you know, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, 1982, signed by uh, Trudeau, 1982, and that's all good and wonderful. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about submitting your will to God. You've given up your rights for his. Luke 6.40 says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. The word disciple is literally used 261 times in the New Testament. It means a follower. It means devoted to. And a follower then very simply is this, a follower is someone who's devoted to Jesus, devoted to his words, devoted to his mission, and devoted to his message. That's what it's all about, to be a follower. A follower devotes themselves to building what Jesus is building, which is his church. It's amazing how, you know, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and, and Jesus comes to his disciples and, you know, asks them a bunch of questions about who, who, do, who do men say that I am? Peter looks at Jesus and says, you're the, you're the son of God, you're the Christ, the Messiah. He goes, that's good. That's good, Peter. That's good, Peter. I want to tell you something today, Peter, that you're no longer Peter, or Simon, but you're now Peter. And on this rock, rock meaning Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what's his mission? He's building the church, and he's extending his kingdom. He's building the church, extending his kingdom, building his church, extending the kingdom, building his church, extending the kingdom. How many wish you had more land at your property? How many wish you had your own private golf course in your backyard? This is what's happening. The more you build the things of God, the more he expands your influence. The more he expands the things in your life. How many want that? So what are we talking about today? No reservations. No rivals. No refusals. No retreat. No regrets. No resistance. No rights equals follower. That's what it's all about. This is the call this morning to move from a place of being iffy to accepting the condition of if from Jesus. This is what it's all about. If you will be my disciple, then you must fill in the blank. If you will, then you must. Father, we thank you this morning for your call. And we thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus that the coolest thing about you is that you never, ever, ever ask somebody to do something that you're not going to give them the strength or the grace to do. 
So, Father, we just say to you today that we want to be all in with you. Lord, we don't want to be just an admirer. We don't want to be an inquirer. We don't want to be just a responder. We want to be a follower of Christ. We want to be all in. We don't want to retreat. We don't want to look back. We don't want to think about it. We just want to be all in. And so, Father, we thank you this morning that your presence is here and that your presence is real. And, Lord, that you love us and that with every condition, Lord, you've already given us the grace to overcome. And we thank you today for the decision in our life, Lord, to follow you. We give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand together.